Hello everyone and welcome back to the Junior Sport Podcast with Naeem. We are back today with two-time Olympic sailor Andrew Lewis from Trinidad and Tobago for a bonus episode where Andrew will share light on the experience of his life-threatening accident five years ago. Have a listen. I really hope you can find some motivation to keep fighting for your goals no matter what life throws at you. Now, let's get to it. Hello, Andrew Lewis, and welcome back to the Junior Sport Podcast with Naeem. Hi, Naeem. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure for a second session. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me too, because I mean, last time we uh, had so much information to share with the world, and now I want to get more in-depth uh, with regards to your accidents. Sure, sure. I am uh, always open to sharing and guiding uh, through the power of love. So let's go. Okay, now we concluded our last episode by speaking briefly about this life-changing accident. And today I want to get more in-depth to regarding the day itself, the recovery process, the mental and emotional stress, self-doubt, if you ever had any, of course, and how the law of attraction has helped you in this process to recovery and to becoming who you are today. Okay. Um, All right. To begin with... I think it's best if you describe the accident yourself so our listeners can be can know exactly what this story is all about. Sure. All right. So uh, first of all, I'll start with anybody ever wants to, uh, because fortunately, but unfortunately, but at the same time, fortunately, in the end, this uh, footage of the accident was recorded by the security camera of the homes. If anybody wants to actually see how things went down and see more of a visual, they could always go to my uh, to YouTube and type in Andrew Lewis Believe. So, yep, December 2015, I was in Brazil training, preparing for the Olympic Games, um, no more than eight months away. And uh, in Rio itself, uh, with my Dutch training partner, Olympian Rutger van Schadenberg, and we were doing our thing going out for dinner, after a long day of training, returning home, forgot the house key, um, realized that we couldn't get into our house. Uh, we didn't want to disturb the landlord to come and give us a key. So I decided I'll jump over the wall because the way the layout was set up, we could get in from there, you know? So jumping over the wall, well, I ended up being the one who was going to jump over because the wall was pretty, pretty high. And I was shorter smaller than him so he would boost me up on top of the wall i would be on top of the wall and i would just jump over and open up and in we go so this wall had a cap on it and a cap is like a small concrete roof i would say this concrete roof would have weighed uh, two three maybe 400 pounds so i was on top of the wall and i looked down on the other side i said Oof, this is even a bigger drop than the side that I came up on. <laughs> Maybe I don't jump down here because I don't want to twist my ankle or damage anything as we're in the middle of a big training camp. So I decided to let myself down slowly but surely to get my hip in line with the wall and then jump down so it'd be like a, a less of a, uh, a meter, a meter and a half, a meter less of a jump. So during that period of doing so, uh, I never felt any sort of movement or any sort of uh, alert, I should say. Just all of a sudden, I woke up in a hospital bed. 
Like, I oh, don't no. know what happened there. I don't know. It was just... Um, but as we saw the uh, footage and we saw the whole experience happen, it shows that the cap, which is a small roof, um, wasn't attached very well and came with me. So when I let go, the cap came with me and uh, we don't know exactly how I got all these injuries because you can't see it actually crush me or hit me. Um, uh, at least I never saw those images or footage. But what I do know is that um, I woke up with a, uh, a broken leg, fibia and tibia. I woke up with uh, two of my left ribs into my left lung and my face fractured in feels like almost every bone possible but in theory it was uh, my skull was broken away from my face so it was like a, a crushing at some places some points but we don't really know exactly how it how the concrete affected me and how it hit me and how I got so damaged we're not too sure about that but what I do know is when I woke up um, I saw all these you know, my leg in a, in a complete disaster. My, my leg, instead of, I guess, sitting up like a V, my two feet, one foot was just flopped to the side. Couldn't breathe very well. Um, and woke up in a Rio de Janeiro hospital, public hospital. So I wasn't sure where I was. It just was a lot of white. <laughs> um, but in the end of the day, um, as early as I can remember, I went into a very... Uh, very very unique mode that I don't know um, you know people say this it, it's a miracle people say uh, it's uh, just my style but one thing I do know is I was in this mode that was all about survive thrive and stay positive the whole time because that's what I just knew deep down to my stomach. That's what was going to get me out of this hole. What was going to get me out of this hospital bed. What was going to get me out of this potentially uh, life-threatening situation that I was in. And uh, little by little, there was a humongous language barrier. Yeah, of course. Doctors, between everybody. So uh, a lot of the things that have happened to me, I did not actually know that that is the surgery I was going into. Um, so I went into a massive surgery one day on my face and I thought we were going for a scan. So I lost that transition there, but we went for a scan and from the scan, we went straight in the operating room and before I knew it, they put me down to rest um, so that they could do the surgery on my face, which was basically rebuilding my face, facial reconstruction, where they cut your head from ear to ear, and they literally peel off your face down to your nose, rebuild the whole skull, and then put it back together, and then cut below your neck to rebuild the jaw. A whole an insane process. I would have, I had no idea that was happening. <laughs> uh, I, I just knew that these, there was a team of doctors in support of the, uh, supported by the, the uh, International Olympic Committee, who was involved at one point, the Brazilian Olympic Committee was involved. They were really trying to put their best doctors on me 
sports doctors even to help me revive and 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 come out of this uh, in my best possible chance of not necessarily sailing again but breathing properly again walking um and eating yeah um just in the name of the basics you know yeah so i took my time to really understand what was my position as early as possible my position was i need to learn to breathe properly on my own again i need to eventually learn to eat again and i need to eventually learn to walk again now you say eat again so after the surgery with your face and your jaw it was completely locked up right correct they wired the jaw together for almost two months Wow, so I can see from the research and from when I knew the accident happened and I was in Trinidad, uh, I saw that you had to have everything uh, liquefied. So everything was mm. a shake and you drink from a straw. And Okay, Andrew, a really, really terrifying experience, we'll say. Um, I, I, just, I just don't think I had a chance to be terrified. Um, why would you I say that? Was in, I was just in so much shock of what was going on and how fast things were moving. I was awake. I was asleep. I was in pain. Uh, I was moving. It was just, it all happened so fast. Um, I guess when you're medicated like I was, yeah, um, it, it just really and truly was wake up. Okay, cool. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And I was, I believe it or not, I had a lot of fun inside there meeting all these nurses and doctors. Um, at that point in time in my life, I was extremely, extremely busy, um, with training on land, on the water, sponsorship requirements, traveling back and forth, managing all the different things I had. I was really pushing the envelope like never before with just a full on schedule every day. So I got in there, had this accident and now all of a sudden within four or five days, I'm like, Geez, I could actually rest. Like these are things that were crossing my mind, and this is an opportunity to have some rest. Not necessarily thinking that, you know, will I ever walk again or will I ever sail again? Yeah. Um, but you but say when I, well, go ahead, go ahead. You say rest, but you also mentioned a very very tight schedule. Now, uh, training online, training on the water, sponsorship requirements. All these things must have put some kind of mental pressure on you, knowing that the old games were so far, yet still so close. You were doing all the preparation. What was the feeling like then, besides the arrest that you can actually have? Um, once the word got out, which I would say was within 48 hours, the messages that started to come in, uh, had my, I was allowed to have my cell phone with me. Um, so once the messages were starting to come in, I knew that everybody was just in a position of, um, we love you, we're here for you. There was no pressure by a single human being, uh, or at least I didn't feel pressure by a single human being to be responsible to report back to my duty. Um, everybody just was like, we are here for you. And in my opinion, I said, okay, cool. I have just taken off a, a huge self-created weight on my shoulder. That's what I, I believe I really did back in those days and still tried to prevent, try to prevent doing that these days because it really is not healthy. But um, 
I, when I went into this mode, I really said, this is vacation, you know? Mm. While, I'm, while I'm fighting for my life, it just goes to show how much I had put on my plate to try and succeed. Because I really, really was like, you know, when I, when I watched the finals of the London 2012 Olympic Games mm-hmm. uh, on, on, in London itself, I was like, I am not going to miss the final in 2016. I am going to be there. I don't know how I'm going to find the, the resources to do it, but I'm going to be there. <laughs> so I was preparing like a machine to be there to to show up because I was always really enjoying Brazil all the time they went to train I was sitting well and the, the conditions were really favorable to me so and it was hot I felt much more at home I love I love the third world mentality when you go to racing those places it's just so much more hype on it it's just cool um so I was there to to strike a medal as, as you know as as I had set out in my mind in 2012 but when that uh, had all of a sudden come to a halt because I was in a hospital bed fighting for my life it really uh, it really was a what a breath I took such a deep breath of fresh air Uh, it's really weird like to think about like I'm fighting for my life and I'm so happy to have space here because of how much I put on my plate back in those days yeah um I really, really have been to become an Olympian in this sport and to achieve what I have through what I've had to use to achieve. It really has been uh, a 24-7, seven days a week business that to make it any sport of sailing from Trinidad and Tobago, you don't stop. You just keep going and going and going and talking here and sailing there and racing here and training there. And just uh, it take, take a toll on you before you realize it compared to the top athletes who just literally have everything a pathway for them and they just show up and race. Yeah, because you were also taking care of your own sponsors, right? Yeah, everything. Everything. Taking care of everything. Not just one sponsor. Taking care of everything. The whole campaign is in my hands and I'm running this thing. Now, I would never attribute my success to my own doings you know i have an amazing team around me of manager and all this, on all the different entities coaches fitness yeah. trainer nutritionists that have helped me join the journey but my style is i like to be in control of almost everything because uh it's like i came from a country where sailing is not a um the best sailing is not a traditional olympic sport yeah. So I had to teach uh, majority of the people on my team. This is the pathway. I'm taking them on like a, a a journey and showing them what the world of sailing is like. So it it was hard for me to give full responsibility to somebody who I'm still um, nurturing about how the sport works. Um, so while I had this fantastic support, there's only so much support you can help me as much as you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Right. So. Um, while we're in this hospital fighting for my life, I'm really enjoying this time off, and I'm, you know, they used to give me some medication to, to, to wither some of the extreme pains that would come and go. Yeah, and it used it used to make me sing. And okay. It used to make me. Uh, <laughs> the the nurses would come by, and I would I would only be awake for about fifteen minutes of, um between the time of the giving me the medication, uh, and I was hooked up 
the honey hooked up or how hooked up in my wrist hooked up in the back of my head like a direct injection into my brain they had me hooked up all how i had these needles connected to me 24 7 all how well, how were you breathing su- well you breathe you, you breathe you they, they cut the side of you they drain out the lung the lung started to you know exp- the, the human body is a phenomenal phenomenal i don't know creature if you want to call it yeah what i saw my body do in those two weeks, and what I saw my body do in the months to come, I was just shocked. You know, I lost forty-three or forty-five pounds wow. in in twelve days just by nothing, doing just lying down on a bed. I just go to show my muscles, my everything started to yeah deteriorated, and that was to me like a serious lesson. Like you cannot stop moving if you want to survive out here. You must move. You must stretch. You must like. You know, even if you work at a desk job, you must sit on a, a, a Swiss ball so you have more, more movement of your hip. You know what I mean? It just goes to show so many life lessons were coming at me at a rate. Um, but yeah, back to the, the singing, they would give me this drug to kill some pain and the nurses would come by and I was get to know them. I couldn't speak a word of Portuguese to them, but <laughs> I'd start to sing. It drug me, the drug made me like extremely happy and I just started to <laughs> sing to them. Is it morphine or what? And, um, I believe it was ketamine, which is a horse tranquilizer. Oh, I know about ketamine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, this is this is also my understanding through the translation of what I was being given. To, yeah, yeah. With the pain. But it was a very fun. That was one of the very funny experiences that I remember because you're in an ICU, um, which is a very very sterile place, but at the same time very hostile because. I remember some drug addicts coming through and they're almost fighting nurses and it's a big shouting and the guy's shouting by himself and yeah. uh, um, guys coming in bleeding and this trying to save. It is a real hostile, but at the same time, very peaceful place when it's peaceful. Um, and it's also in Brazil. So, I mean, I mean, drugs and crime and stuff has a higher rate there, not so? In Rio de Janeiro, yeah. It was, you know, the, it's like Port of Spain General Hospital, the, the yeah. main hospital of my country. It's It yeah. was a pretty hype place. Yeah. Now, uh, after these few weeks that you were in Brazil, you were finally home with your family. And um, I'm sure you were happy to be around all the loved ones who were sending you messages and uh, all these kind words during your time in Brazil while you had surgery, while you were recovering and, you know, happily singing to the nurses. But what was it like when you were finally home and to be around people again and your family, your friends, to be in your own comfort zone, if you want to say? Um, I really was always, like, I think I asked, it's not every day, every other day to the doctor. Um, was one doctor I got really close to. I said, hey, you know, when do you think I'm going to go home? You know, how many more days? How many more, when is next surgery? I was always trying to figure out when I'm going to come out of here. And I remember telling the doctor uh, one day, he's, I'm like, um, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be on his start line. I never <laughs> said, which start line, huh? I said, the doc, you know, I'm going to be on his start line. And he would just be like, all right, okay. Yeah. Um, he was a cool one. He was one of those guys who was just like, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about that. You'll never say it again. Um, there were certain people who were on that page, but he was not. He was just always super cool, super helpful. I had access to him on WhatsApp 24-7. If I was going through a tough time, I could message him at 1 in the morning. Hey, Doc, I need some more 
so I'm in pain, please help, please help. And he would get a nurse to come over to me wherever he was. Um, so when I was starting to hear from him, okay, cool, you're going to go home in two days, I was just like, oh, my God, I, I can't wait to go home. I'm going to be able to recover so much faster at home because out of this hospital, I could start to just control my environment more, I would say is the best way to say it. Yeah, um, you're not limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You create more of your own rules and you could push yeah. more boundaries and that kind of stuff. So as uh, as we started to look like we we're going to get to go home, yeah, we put everything in place. I had to, um, they had to put me in a first class seat to go home because my leg could not bend at that point in time, which was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and as I uh, reached home, it was... It was weird because I went from the airplane into an ambulance um, where okay. I just thought I was going home but because I had a deflated lung. They wanted to make sure I didn't have any further added problems because of the flight. So I went, and that, this, this to me shocked me that I didn't even know it was possible. I literally went out of the airplane, onto the bridge, into an ambulance on the runway almost. Wow, okay. Did, I just handed over my passport and someone else brought my bags home for me. Someone else took care of my immigration. And next thing I knew, I was in the hospital um, in Trinidad. And that's when I first saw my wife. My uncle was there. And uh, from there, I went uh, in, to get reviewed by the doctor. And I don't know what happened, but when they started, I think the blood test, so they did something. I kind of like had like, like a big jittery moment where I was like shaking and then I kind of like blacked out Mm -hmm. and then I came back and I was like what the hell was that I didn't even know what it was you know yeah Um, but eventually you know I I spent the night there um, was able to be there with my girlfriend at that point in time yeah and uh, you know the team started to activate with the nutrition and uh, I spent I believe I only spent one night there, maybe two. And once I was finished there, um, the doctors reviewed me. And then one more specialist came and said, Andrew, we need to do one more surgery on you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I think at that point in time, I went through six six or seven surgeries in Brazil already. And he said, okay, well, we need to do one more on your jaw because if you leave it like that, it's going to heal poorly. And this guy was okay. like a... Uh, a specialist when it comes to the jaw um so yeah i I went home for three or four days and then set back up for another surgery so back in the hospital again in trinidad went under the knife went to sleep another surgery came out looking like a chipmunk (laughs) and uh then then the real recovery started from there bringing the team together to to learn to walk and stuff again, you know? Yeah. Now, in this process where you tried to walk again, uh, what was it like then, you know, dealing with the fact that, again, the games are closed and you want to be able to move. Yes, you're home and you're not limited anymore. You, you can create your own space, but your body is still limited to some extent. So mm. what was it like to tell yourself, I want to walk soon. I want to be able to eat soon. I want to move like, like a human again. Mm. but there's one thing I, I kept very quiet to myself pretty much the whole time because 
if I start to tell people I'm going to go to the Olympic Games, they're going to be, I'm going to scare them away, or it's just going to create like a, you know, what is this guy even thinking? You know, what's, you know, why is this guy just chill, chill out and wait another? Yeah, just just four. recover and just lay down and yeah. So I just kept that one quiet to myself, but I went into like a mode where I'm going to recover from this thing as fast as I can and get back to my feet. So I had a, at that time I had a walker. So I was walking on my good leg and just hopping around the house. Um, and my wife, my girlfriend at that point in time, she was, she, I think she took two weeks off of work to help me through this process because I was still limited to needing a hand to help me up sometimes and to help move around. Uh, but we had the wheelchair for a little while moving around and I said, get rid of that. I'll just use the hopper, <laughs> um, the the walker, I should say. And then I asked the doctor in Brazil. I had a sports doctor in Brazil. I was I was referring to. I said, "Do you mind if I go on this spin bike?" And uh, he said, "Well, you must understand that we're dealing with something like a pain tolerance here. That is, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful with. If it hurts, like a sharp pain, those kind of things, you must not be doing any of that. If it's just a little bit of discomfort, it's okay, cool. So." I got on the spin bike and I would just literally put my broken leg in with my hand and just move, move it, move the legs with no resistance, just get it moving, sit yeah. on the spin bike, get movement. Um, and then eventually I started a physiotherapy and I just said, I'm going to, I took a chair from my house, um, just a, a dining room table chair that had some felt below, so it slides. And I would hold on to the chair like a little baby um, and introduce my foot back into walking. So just put a little bit of pressure on it, a little bit of pressure and more and more. And the muscle memory is phenomenal. I think I was off of the chair within two, three days. Within six days, I was literally walking on both legs, but very, uh, very unstable. And just, you know, just kept pushing, just kept pushing. Um, I also was going through a, a, a two weeks phase of all of the um, the drugs that they would have given me in the hospital. It was coming out of my body. I was sweating all night. It was like a, it was just a detox that was taking place. Um, so all those things were just coming out of me. So it was like a sleep was also very interesting. Sometimes I would sleep like 14, 15 hours, I remember. Because I'm wow. going through so much, and sometimes there'll be a lot less sleep. A yeah. lot of transitions are going on, but I was just I started to bring in a team of people. You know, my my trainer at that point was, you know, very well Orlando Griffith. Um, yeah. I started to bring in uh, my physiotherapist from Renew, um, and just working with them every single week, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I remember it was more physio first before Orlando came in and then physio and Orlando at the same time and then physio finished and Orlando took over from there. And we just, we just saw through this thing like as best as we could, you know? Um, And I think maybe two and a half, three months later, I went to start to test out the hiking bench, which was like the simulator of what it, one of the one of the most strenuous movements we do 
uh, in the boat and it puts a lot of pressure on your knee, a lot of pressure on your legs. So it was it's very... the one where you lean back and yes, uh, you're yes. hanging off the boat, hanging off the laser, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So I was very scared because it's like, okay, cool. Why do I have this amazing rod in my leg? I have a rod that goes from my knee to my ankle and two big screws. Still have it. Two big screws um, on the top and two big screws on the bottom. While I had this strong rod that the doctor be like, your, your left leg is, left bottom half of your leg is like a, a robot leg. You can't break that again just like that, you know? Okay. Um, that, that's a piece of titanium inside there that you could hike on that all day long once your rest of your body is receiving it well. Because sometimes these things, the body rejects them. And people yeah. have to take them out. Mine has been fantastic. My body has really accepted it into my life. So I'm grateful for that. Do you have plates in your head too? Metal plates in your head? And your yeah, skull? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I have uh, nine and around uh, wow. 40 something screws to go with them because yeah, each plate has about three or four screws. You have 40, about around 47 screws in your head, Andrew. Yeah, around that, yeah. Okay, so basically you're like the Iron Man of signaling or something? Not really, yeah, but uh, <laughs> definitely have a much stronger face than, than I was born with. Okay. Re- reinforced, I should say. Yeah. Now, when you, when you began all this physio um, training with Orlando and, of course, um, uh, being on the bike must have given you some motivation, you know, just being able to go on the uh, the... What what do you call it again? What you sit on as uh, that, that that represents the laser hiking bench, the hiking bench. Now this mm. must have given you some kind of motivation to keep pushing forward. And h- how close were the games then when you first began training? Uh, I got back in the boat in uh, April of 2016, with the game starting at the end of July. So. It was just a couple of months to really get back up around. Yeah. I had a really solid team around me with my coach from Brazil, two-time Olympic sailor Bruno Fonte. Uh, yeah. My father was there. My mother was there. My family was there. My managers were there. Um, really, my sponsors stayed on my side. I was really amazed that even my sponsors were you know, in support of doing their best to see what else can be done to get me into the best shape possible. It was a real beautiful gathering of people that I was able to bring together to rally out this whole experience. Um, mm-hmm. It was like a beautiful light at the end of the tunnel to work towards, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because technically talking, I had qualified for the Olympics already. So okay. I was in and I was just, I had the ability to compete uh, in whatever condition that I was. Now, um, there were some tests that we set out, which was with the Trinidad and Tobago Olympic Committee and my team, that um, I, I would go to the World Championships in, I want to say, May in Mexico. And if I could complete 10 races, then I would be able to sail the Olympic Games. Um, so that was, that was your benchmark? That was my benchmark. And that regatta had like 14 races. So, oh, so I how went. Much did you complete? I just did ten and went home. Okay. Because it was not. It was not. It was important for me to not push my body 
too of hard course. then. I was always just trying to do everything that would allow me to be able to be the best peaking. I mean, peaking in that condition is not really considered peaking at the Olympic Games because I, I needed a lot more time to recover to be able to peak. Um, yeah. But at the same time, uh, I mean, if I was to be honest, I think I only peaked after the accident in 2019. I think I got back into my fullest of form. Okay. So it took me a, a real long time to get back in certain things. Yeah, of course. Um, now, you went to this regatta in Mexico. You were preparing for it. You had already qualified for the Olympics. So that must have given you some kind of comfort, I guess, knowing that you had already qualified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now, after losing around 50 pounds, uh, regaining strength in your body, you must have had to regain some kind of confidence. How was that process like? Um, it's a good question. I looked, I also looked very different. I looked uh, very droll and my whole face was uh, empty. Look, my face was empty. Like I just went through a, uh, some kind of mega life-changing experience that I just look very drawn, I think is the right word to use. So when I would look yeah. at myself in the mirror, I would say to myself, I look so different, you know, like, I don't look the same. But uh, meanwhile, it was just because I lost so much that my face was just sitting on bones almost. And my body too, you know, I just look very scrawny as we say in Trinidad. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of playing with my confidence a little bit. Some of the things that play my confidence is like, you know, will I ever be able to qualify for the Olympics again? Um, so these things are crossing my mind, but every time these natural thoughts, because I really believe thoughts are very natural, as they came across my mind, I just came back to my purpose, which was to just continuing believing in myself. I can be so much more no matter what. So while the confidence would have fallen, um, the belief system was so strong that I can continue to achieve greatness no matter what, that I will regain this this confidence. And that's what I did little by little. Um, And... It took it took some time, but the story that was being told, I was getting a lot, a lot of media attention around this whole accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to tell a very inspirational story and motivational story, how I got back to my feet. And by seeing how everybody responded and how I was able to respond to everybody, it gave me so much confidence that there is a lot of support and love out there. And it doesn't matter whether I sail again or not or whatever it is. That I felt very loved and I felt very cared for and that I really knew that there was so much more. And I honestly believe that this accident was was no mistake. Like it was it was a it was a time in my life that it was a very humbling experience that came to me. I wouldn't say that I started I was a very uh you know, I wasn't a humble person, but I wasn't as humble as I 
wanted to be. As I as I truly am, I should say. Um, an Olympic success, an Olympic this, and sponsors, and this whole sometimes limelight life could just take you through the roof. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know it, you could start to think that you're bigger and better than other people, and that's not true. You know, yeah. no no one is bigger and better than me, and I'm not bigger and better than anybody. We're all human beings. We're all we all equal equal opportunity to succeed in our own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so this accident really humbled me back down again to where I had to come back to a certain level, which was much more true to who I am. And mm-hmm. it was a real beautiful lesson to to go through because it will always be there. So hold on, come back, come back. Where are you going? You know, to keep that <laughs> humbleness, um, to never let me lose grip of where I'm going and, and who I can be and reminding myself of the human that I am. So I'm very, very grateful for the experience. I'm extremely um, proud of the lessons that I was able to take out of it because, you know, when I hear people tell me all the time, but if that happened to me, I might sleep in my bed now. And you're the only one who could do that and those kind of things. That's not true, you know? It's just the belief systems in one's life are different. Um, and my belief system was, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to breathe again. I'm going to eat again. And if I could get these things back, then why can't I sail? And if I, can't, if I can sail, why can't I go to Olympics again? And if I could go to Olympics again, why can't I achieve a gold medal and if I can achieve a gold medal, why can't I be so much more and just continue blazing my trail and going higher and higher, um, all while being humble through it? Of course. Now, belief, um, being humble. Okay, and I want to say, by the way, that I know about you since the accident. My mom is the one who told me to uh just look look at the uh story from when you got into the accident and she basically introduced me to you because i had no idea that we had sailing in trinidad and tobago mm. so i'm i'm quite happy that i met you and um we have i think we've crossed paths a couple of times but mm-hmm. re- re- regardless uh your story has motivated me and again just i just want to say thank you again for being on your podcast and sharing your experience yeah you're um, most welcome you're most welcome now, we talk about belief, and we also, we also mentioned belief last time in our episode where the topic was mostly growing through life. And I want to ask you today, Andrew, how has the law of attraction helped you in recovering and becoming who you are today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fortunately, I was uh, introduced to that uh, way of life before the Olympic Games. I would say around 2000 and. Uh, 10 or 11 is when I started to really experience uh, that law, that way of living. Yes. And uh, thankfully I had that because uh, there's also a, mo- a movie that I'd seen before that called The Ooh, it's So Good, where the gymnastic guy breaks his leg. Have you ever seen it? I. I, I know it's about called the, the Peaceful Olympics. Warrior. 
I haven't seen that, but I've seen some footage from the Olympics where this guy broke his leg and came back in the next Olympics and won gold. Correct. Maybe, maybe it's the same reference. I believe so too. So the Peaceful Warrior was about that guy who did that. And um, it was all about the mind. It was all about the mind. And the way the director of the movie was able to show us how the mind plays on us uh, in a very uh, human understanding way. These are the things I became very attracted to understanding. And I never thought it was really uh, possible to understand this narrative clearly until I had the accent when I put it into place and just yeah. started to uh, attract the things around me and create the things around me that would allow me to thrive. And, you know, it's so easy to, to try and attract something, but it's also easier to detract it. Um, mm-hmm. So we, can, we really do, okay, cool, I really want this. And then all of a sudden, you know, I really want this. And then you say, but. And all of a sudden, yeah. it's like, hold on, where are you going? Reverse. Um, so these fundamental aspects of going into a attraction mode and never coming out of it until you get either what was meant for you to get out of it or whatever it is you got in the end. You just believed through it. You attracted through it. You created through it. And that's what I did in every aspect of it. A lot of it became subconscious because I was training it. I was training that way of living since around 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier you mentioned that the accident was no mistake, but do you think it was some kind of a setback? A setback, sorry, in your career and in that period of life? Oof. Good question. I, I I see. Yes, you got some rest. Yes, you you know got some time for yourself. You know you had time with your family and stuff. But I, I mean, setback. It's a, yeah. Nah, no setback there. That's that, that was in its perfect timing. That's. Uh, you see, I don't, I don't live in that world. Well, it's okay. a fantastic question. I don't live in that world of what could have been or. You know, the past, you know, I, I really live in the present of what is. And then yeah. through understanding what is, creating what can be. Yeah. So I, 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 that, that came in its perfect timing. And, and so has everything else that continues to flow through me. I think it's a good question, but it's also a good answer, Andrew. Thank you for that. But do you think the accident itself, it's, itself has launched you towards something greater? Yes. Yes. Yes, that that's for sure. Well, what do you think that is exactly? If you can put it into words. Okay. Um, so, I st- I started sailing for. I I mean I started to go down the professional road of sailing because I always wanted to create a life through sport. And, sailing was me alone in the boat and I love sport and I love the ocean so I dived all the way into that avenue and while I was on a pathway of creating as much resources as possible to fund my Olympic campaign and to to make a life through it 
it's very easy to get caught up in just getting paid and focus on a life of making as much money as possible. And that's how I was thinking, doing any and everything possible, showing up anywhere and anyhow, just to make that dollar. And that is when the accident started to, that's when the accident came around and schooled me big time saying, yo, you don't sail for money. You don't live for money. Money is an accessory, not a purpose, mm-hmm. not a way of living. You know, money facilitates certain things, but it's kind of, it's not in my life. It's not my purpose. It's not what I'm here to do. If you, if you make as much money as you want in the world, it's not going to give you a purpose. It's not going to allow you to have all your biggest dreams and desires come true. Um, yeah. You just have to allow it to come in to facilitate you. And I was chasing money as a young boy to try and just make it in this game, chasing it all. How <laughs> I was like, I need money. I need coaching. I need this. I need that. And, and that's just, I think, most young boys and girls in a sporting career, especially one where they don't enter in a professional way, that's probably all they could possibly think. I can relate heavily, Andrew. Right. So um, it's a real, no one ever taught me this. I had to learn this the hard way. And uh, the, the biggest teaching lesson here is don't chase the money. You know, the money will come by that natural way of, continuing to pursue your purpose your passion the no matter what happens you know as i said in the last episode like friends who go on olympic campaigns um and don't qualify it's not to say that you didn't come out of the olympic campaign with nothing you came out with so much experience and so much travel and so much life lessons so yeah uh while i am always working the business side of my life, making sure that bills are being paid. That's just a natural aspect of creating to facilitate. But there's nothing inside of me that wakes up every morning and say, all right, cool, let's chase money. No, mm-hmm. I wake up every morning and say, okay, cool, I have a list of things I'm going to get done today. I'm going to start my meditating, setting my intentions for the day. Um, and yes, maybe I am in the process of working on a new sponsor and creating a relationship, but that's not for the purpose of money. That's for the purpose of a partnership where I can grow, they can grow, and there is an incentive on both sides. Yeah. So that's where change, understand that we ain't chasing money. We're creating relationships and through powerful relationships, there are incentives that come along with it. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes there's no financial. It's just growth between two human relationships. Um, so that's when things really change me. Not, not only through the world of sport, that's in relationships too. Uh, and some people may chase a relationship because the person is wealthy um, to be with somebody who has more money and more security. But that doesn't mean you're going to get more security. You may have someone with plenty of money but super insecure. Yeah. So coming back to what is real and what is true, um, that, you know, money is just a facility, but it does not buy happiness. It supports really cool things and really big dreams, but the way of living is not about chasing money. I I think you just taught me a lesson too. And I, as I'm not chasing money, but at some point in an artist's life, they have to 
pay for everything. So of course they're hunting for cash and they need to pay for uh, training, for a diet, for conditioning, to travel to compete and stuff along those lines. But, uh, and of course it could be expensive, but um, you make a very good point. You know, money is just uh, materialistic and we shouldn't chase after it as if we can't live without it. Of course we need it, but it just facilitates what we like and what we like to enjoy. So thank you for I would like. I would like to rephrase that a little bit in a way where uh, create money to facilitate your purposes and your dreams. Don't chase after it. Okay. You know, it's, it's almost like chase your dreams, but create, yeah. cr- create the resources that support it. So let's say this podcast, for example, mm-hmm. you're doing this podcast and you're creating a platform and having all these wonderful guests come through and you start to build traction and you're flowing. And now all of a sudden uh, you could decide to connect different people yeah. to your podcast to facilitate more of your podcast. Um, that anybody who is doing a, uh, a a contribution to this planet um, has the opportunity to get resources in return for the 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 goods, the jobs, the things that they do. Um, so of course, payment is one of the, the the avenues. So yeah, don't 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 ever chase it, but create it. Okay, I'll. Uh... I'll accept that. I mean, not accept, but I'll use that in my book of phrases as well. So thank you for that, Andrew. Welcome. Um, I would like to ask you if you can recommend some steps to the world and to athletes, of course, uh, what they can do to build self-confidence. Right. So there are one of the most challenging situations in my opinion is human to human interaction so the ability to come out of your comfort zone and start speaking to more people has the ability to open endless doors for you so let's say there's something some some person you always wanted to meet or always wanted to talk to but you feel nervous so you you just feel defeated in the fact that you've had so many letdowns in your life you're not even going to try and reach out to them because you just say to yourself, nah, that's just too hard. And, and, and human beings have caused me to feel this way because of my past experiences. Um, so I really encourage people to take small steps in c- learning how to connect and talk with people who were possible challenges to talk to in the past. So let's say uh, you go out, um, and you cross paths with the lady at the bar tender or the lady at the coffee shop or the lady at the grocery, feel free to strike up a conversation with them. How are you today? How is life? How is everything? Uh, if the opportunity permits, create those opportunities to have these conversations that you may not normally have. Now, we must understand that no matter who the person is, self-confidence, is just a belief system that we have to create. And where we are we are more confident or less confident due to our past experiences of what we have created about our we've created for ourselves up to this point. So it's just a matter of now, as you said, law of attraction, creating more opportunities to connect with other human beings, to create more confidence um, in what we do. Now 
people try to be very fake in some instances and talk a lot of stuff that they don't know and they'll be like okay cool i'm talking about this 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 and then go to this youtube link to see more you know i really believe someone who knows what they do and i'm necessarily going to send you to a youtube link and let the other person ask for more and be like okay cool you can see more hey yeah um they really know what they're talking about before they send you anywhere else and they can explain themselves well so the more you research the stronger you become as a human being um physically also mentally also spiritually uh, that confidence naturally comes in, but you must go out into the world and come out of your comfort zone to go into your growth zone. So continue finding opportunities every single day to go into your growth zone. And by nature, these zones that were once uncomfortable as going into it with growth will become more and more comfortable. So that will build confidence around any aspect, any human being, anything that crosses your path in life so take it like the same concept of if you're going to do one push-up do one push-up every single day until you could do two until you could do three it's better to do one push-up than say well i can't even do 10 push-ups i'm not even going to do any it's better to start somewhere and just go somewhere start small start small and little by little month by month year by year before you know it, you look back and you say five years it and say wow um, I couldn't even do that then. And now look at me, I could do it so well. Mm-hmm. And you could even start with personal things too, cooking, cleaning, uh, one-on-one things with yourself. You could build confidence in yourself that allow you to, okay, cool, I can follow a recipe. I could cook some food. I feel more confident in my cooking. All right, cool, I wash my clothes like this. I fold my clothes better. I feel more comfortable like that. It's just find places to build them confidence. You don't have to have human interaction all the time. But those last few factors also gives you independence. Ah, boy, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, all this could contribute to you being independent. But when you feel more independent, of course, you're going to build the confidence because you can do things. You can do more things by yourself. You can take care of yourself. And you know that you don't, I mean, in a good way, you don't need anyone else around you because you can handle yourself. But, yeah, all all the factors, Andrew. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spot on. Nice. Well, Andrew, the last thing I want to ask you is, um, would you say that this experience with the accident and the journey thus far since December 2015 has taught you more about life than sport has or not? Mm, no, no, I can't. Uh, I can't put any one experience, no matter how big it is, that had been my biggest teacher in life. My, my whole, from, from far back as I can remember to now, um, they have been a lot. I mean, we didn't even talk about the it, what happened to me when I quit sailing because I didn't even qualify for the 2008 Olympic Games. You know, this was a massive experience in my life. I thought I'll never sail again, um, just because I was so self-defeated that mm-hmm. I never. That I said, "I'm done with this. I'm going to get a university degree and go back." So while you have the accident, the 2008 qualifiers. Um, and many other experiences I've gone through, my my everything that's brought me to this point has really added up to, you know, I can't say that a large part of my life was the accident. Now the accident has taught me a lot, so has many other things. But uh, not not I'm not gonna put one thing on one thing in particular. Okay, fair enough. Andrew, it was a pleasure 
I really enjoyed having you here today. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all your uh, information, your advice, and of course your experience, not just as an athlete, but also as a human being. Um, one last thing, if you don't mind me asking you. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of the book called Champion Minded? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm hoping that we can do a third episode, and I would like to talk to you about a few topics in this book. What do you think about that? I'm always I'm always open to guide and, and share love and light. So if we can find the opportunity, um, maybe when I'm back out to my training base in Spain next month or month after, we could chat some more. Okay. But uh, yeah, there's always opportunity. Super. And uh, before recording this podcast, I listened to a few minutes of this one you just posted on Facebook. And I had no idea that you're going to be a father soon. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Andrew, thank you again. It was great. And take care of yourself. You're welcome, Naeem. All the best. Love and light to everybody. And may you all continue to fly like those eagles and hunt like the lions. Thank you, Andrew. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. Well, guys. That's all for today. I would like to thank Andrew again for taking the time to share with us his experience through the past five years after his life-threatening accident. In contrast, I would like to say from myself, to all those out there who are facing some trouble, some battle, keep believing, keep pushing. Nothing is impossible as long as you set your mind to making it happen. And as long as you keep believing in what you do, keep striving to be the best you can be and you will achieve what you want. With that being said, thank you for listening and catch you in the next episode.